1: My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Wister, the sugarloaf to my Sunday river. You, how are you doing today, Curtis?
2: I'm doing well, Ben. Doing well. That's appropriate because it's all of three degrees outside today, I think. Yeah, so. it, it,
1: it feels. <laughs> I was I was just sharing with Curtis. Uh, I was waiting for my son to get off the bus for the last 15 minutes, and I, I don't know that my face is going to have any expression over this podcast because I'm so cold, but it, we're gonna we're mainers, we fight through all the conditions, whether That's it be right. cold or hot. So it's just it's just what we do. It's in our nature. That's right. Well, we we wanna talk about another topic uh today and, and again we've kind of danced around nonprofits as as a theme in in our show over over the course of our history here. But one things that we've really uncovered as a theme uh, in our show has been that there's many things that bring our lives fulfillment. One thing we consider as we discuss our own mortality is our legacy, right? That's that's something that I think that comes up quite a bit. Ha, mm. What have we changed, or what have we made better? And sometimes our work is our legacy, right? We we get you know sometimes we do volunteer work. Sometimes it's family bonds and memories. Another way to build legacy, though, is to use our savings during or after our lives to give to a charity that can impact others lives. Yeah, perhaps I'm really passionate about helping people with developmental challenges integrated in the community and live full lives. Maybe I want to be able to impact the lives of dogs and cats that don't have homes. Or maybe there's a population out there, like we had uh, Mary uh, Taylor on from Literacy Volunteers of Angkor. Maybe there's a population out there that reads at less than a fifth grade reading level, and they can't get better jobs or take their prescriptions correctly or live more fully because their education level and they need tutoring and help. There's countless of worthy nonprofits and charities out there. So what should we know about finding which charity is the best match for our own personal values and our dollars? When should I give to charity? That question comes up with a lot of our clients, right? Is Mm -hmm. I don't want to give it away too soon because what if I need that money, right? So when, when should I give to charity? How and how much should we give to them, right? So those are a lot of the questions that we've gotten over the years. We said, hey, this this is a topic I think we got to dig into.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, you hit it there, Ben. Those are all great questions. And our next guest, uh, who I think is going to help us answer those questions, um, is a vice president and charitable planning consultant for Fidelity Charitable. Um, which is an independent public charity that helped donors support more than 328,000 nonprofit organizations with $51 billion in grants. So that's billion with a B, yeah, right? With that, a B. That's, that,
1: that's a big number. So
2: uh, the mission of Fidelity Charitable is to grow the American tradition of philanthropy by providing programs that make charitable giving accessible, simple, and effective. Our guest uh, assumed his current role in 2010. In this role, he is a premier resource on charitable planning for advisors and their clients in the Northeast area. He educates advisors on current charitable planning trends and strategies, along with leveraging the benefits of Fidelity Charitable's donor-advised fund program to help philanthropic clients give more to the charities they support. Prior to joining joining Fidelity Charitable in 2010, Mr. Garbutt held various sales roles at leading organizations such as Deutsche Bank, Fidelity Investments, and MFS Investment Management. So at this time, I would love to welcome Glenn Garbutt to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Glenn, thank you so much for coming on our show today.
3: Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. Great to be here. I've been looking forward to this.
1: Yeah. Well, you are our first recorded guest here in 2022. So we said, hey, what a a great way to kick off uh, 2022 uh, with a recording. But also, you know, hey, it starts getting into tax season. I know uh, Year-end gifting is a big deal, so I know that's something where people maybe just went through and said, "Hey, maybe there's some ways I could make this better here in the end of 2022." So I think there's some things that we we're going to be able to learn from you today, Glenn. But we always like to get into a little bit of your own history and and kind of why you kind of are in the role you are and how that gives you purpose. Love to get a little bit of your background, of where you're from and your childhood experience.
3: Sure. So I I I'm, I'm joining you from Philadelphia, which uh I live in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I'm born and raised here. Throughout my work history, though, I've spent quite a bit of time in New England. So, several of the companies that I've worked for have been uh Boston-based, and mm-hmm. this is the second region I've covered, which is New England-based and and uh so that gives me the opportunity to to visit uh rather frequently mm-hmm.
2: I want to rotate a little bit into kind of what you're doing in your professional life Glenn so could you just kind of give our listeners a, a little snippet of what you do and then maybe you know what do you love about it
3: Yeah. so the, the, the great thing about what I do and we just got through giving season so we call it giving season a lot really the last three months of the year is when we take in the majority of the dollars to uh, to our charity but let's let's back up I work for Fidelity charitable and we are a uh, donor-advised fund. So Fidelity Charitable is the largest donor-advised fund sponsoring organization in the country. In fact, we're the largest charity in the country based on contributions and mm-hmm. grants out the door. We've been around since 1991. And in that time, we've granted out over $55 billion. Wow. Uh, last year, 2021, uh, we granted out over $9 billion. The final numbers are not in yet, but wow. we granted out over $9 billion. And that's something we really... Pride ourselves on is is grants out the door. So as you mentioned, I've been with Fidelity Char- Charitable since 2010. Uh, really, we've grown like a weed in that time. We've, we've uh, uh, the numbers were much smaller back when I started in 2010. And uh, donor advised funds in general, not just Fidelity Charitable, are really just exploding in popularity. So what I love about it is we're we're making it easier for dollars to get. For, for people to reach their philanthropic goals and give money to charity, and you you read our mission statement. That's what we're that's what we're all about.
1: I like that. Nice. Well, and I know Glenn. We're going to dig into that quite a bit, right? Is we want to canvas the whole charitable landscape here with you today, but I want to ask a connection. We always have to ask all of our guests. Not not the last one. We always ask, but it's always the one we always have to ask up front. Is do you have any connections to Maine?
3: First of all, I will I will say this. I love Maine, and I've I've been to Maine. I don't know, maybe. 15 times in my life. Okay. Uh, and usually it's for business, a few pleasure trips here and there. Uh, I mm-hmm. love to fish. I like to fish on foot when I lived outside of Boston for a few years. I did a lot of fishing, uh, on the New England coast and don't ask me what times of year they are. I think it's like the middle of summer. <laughs> the stripers mm-hmm. love the cold water. So I mm. spent many weekends in, uh, in Maine doing some fishing up there, but I just love, nice. you know, Maine is one of those states. It's so, um, It's so rugged. And I I just appreciate like some of the rugged terrain in this country, topography, Mm. places like Maine. You know, if you dropped dropped me off blindfolded in the middle of Maine, it's one of those states I'd know where I was the second I took my (laughs) blindfold off. It's just super identifiable, Uh, whether it be the coastline or the beautiful middle of the state.
1: Well, and I think that's the fun part about Maine is we just have so many distinct areas, right? Is we kind of have uh, the small city, we got kind of some really nice, robust towns and downtowns going on, but we have mountains and shores and farmlands and kind of have a really nice mix of kind of all together. And of course, it's really uh, kind of geographically diverse, but also, uh, uh, have a kind of vast distance to it too. So yeah, th- love that. that uh, we hear that a lot from a, from an outdoorsman perspective is it's just a really great playground there.
3: It really is. And, uh, you should, um, Change the name of the podcast to Retirement in Summers in Maine because I the older I get the the less I like dealing with cold. You guys were talking about how it's three degrees up there today. I don't know <laughs> if I could take ten minutes of that.
1: <laughs> it went, well, I will say it was zero. I think when we woke up, this it
2: was. morning. so. Oh. Yeah.
1: And that that's probably this. This is only January, right? So it, it'll it'll get a little bit colder. We can oh, we yeah. can bet that. But oh, yes, yeah. um, I will say it's um, it's something where I think by the time March hits and April hits, you're you're ready for some warm weather, that is for sure.
3: There is something about it builds character, right? <laughs> well, and if you look at the, the the people in Maine, they're tough, they're perseverant, they they have character.
1: You know, it's and I think it's it's part of that is enduring the the, the tougher months. It's uh, we we do have the leg up on people where you know the whole like I I I walk to school both ways uphill and two feet of snow type thing is. <laughs> I think we just have to say we're from Maine, and the people go, oh, okay, yep, yeah, you're pretty tough. Yeah, I, I get you.
2: There you go. <laughs> Um Glenn I want to I want to take some time now and and rotate and actually dive into uh this this conversation of charitable giving. So just kind of generally speaking right we want to kind of build a foundation for our listeners. So you know why do people give Charitably and you know, how much do people give to charities annually? I know you just gave us some twenty twenty one numbers there, but and just kinda how has that changed over time in the I know uh you've been at Fidelity Charitable since two thousand and ten. So if you could just talk to kind of how that's progressed, um in your time there.
3: It's a great place to start. I you know, we as you mentioned, we have over three hundred thousand donors, um or somewhere about. And <laughs> They, they they give for different reasons. I mean, and, and and they're in different points of their lives, and I think that also impacts what people are thinking about. But by and large, they want to make the world a better place. And 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 uh, if you look at any, you know, I do a lot of reading, of course, on philanthropy. But if you read any study done on, you know, let's say high net worth or ultra high net worth individuals. Well over ninety percent of them give to charity. Now of course it's a matter of degrees. Some support just one charity, but they're all giving. You know, within that ninety 93, 95, 96% uh, of high net worth of it, individuals that are giving to charity, you know, some of them are doing extraordinary things. But ultimately, you know, they either want to give back or they're considering their legacy. Um, they want to help the institutions that have that have helped them get where they are. Sure. So or they want to see them function properly or they have a love for a certain cause. It could be, you know, a disease or it could be the climate or it could be animals. There are all sorts of different reasons why people give. But, you know, what I think a lot of people don't realize is when they think of the overall philanthropic picture in the country. If you ask the average individual, I think they would say that, you know, it's oh, it's corporate foundations and what have you that are doing most of the giving. And the reality is, it is individuals that are mm-hmm. driving philanthropy mm-hmm. in the United States. And it has been that way. Uh, well, over 70% of the, the, the annual giving in the United States is done
1: by individuals. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and so... And what what are you seeing, Glenn, from um, from an annual amount? Because I know, like, again, for the, the the clients that we work with, they always kind of want to know a reference of, hey, am, am I giving a lot? Am I giving a little? Like, so what do you, what are you seeing as an annual amount that people generally give to charities? What's what's kind of a range? That are are kind of, I don't want to use the word normal, but it kind of what's the, what's the range that you generally would see in any given year? Yeah, it's
3: it, these are these are tough things to pin down. Okay, so. I will tell you that I deal with individuals of all sizes. Um we don't have a minimum on our donor advised fund. So someone could, you know, start a donor advised fund with a few hundred dollars. Uh but we also deal with people that give hundreds of millions of dollars. We have, you know, tech moguls that give us 3-400 million dollars. They open up a donor advised fund and make a contribution, you know, maybe of 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 stock in their company. But, you know, when I'm dealing with a donor, or I'm dealing with the intermediary to a donor, and that's mostly what I do. I'm dealing, I'm, 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 called a charitable planning consultant. That's my role, and I'm dealing with intermediaries to, you know, estate planning professionals, CPAs, wealth managers, trust and estate attorneys, and talking to them about, you know, how a donor advised fund might be a solution. So I try not to get jaded. Whether you know, I, I, five thousand dollars to charity is significant, and. It's irrevocable. So when you give the money to charity, of course you get your tax deduction. You can't get it back. So I would say for anyone, they want to think about their comfort level with giving away whatever dollar amount they're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Is it a dollar amount that they'll be comfortable giving away and not getting back? And for different people, that's a
1: different number. So Glenn, I would say is kind of your experience at Fidelity Charitable since 2010. So you, you know, we're you're 11 years at least in and counting. So are you seeing that over your tenure there, are you seeing that more people are giving more over time? Are you seeing that this is a growing space from donating money or or making charitable uh, donations to organizations? Or are you seeing this level off? Or, you know, we've had a pandemic, we've had coming out of a financial crisis um, out of 2010, right? And, you know, a lot of people were very impacted by that. So how have you seen kind of over your tenure this this kind of trend
3: yeah unfortunately i can't share graphics on with with you here today but if you look at overall philanthropy it continues to tick up as if you're looking at a chart of the s p 500 or something you know a thousand dollars invested in the s p in 1950 is worth you know x today the chart of individual philanthropy in the united states looks very similar to that Hmm. So I would say yes people are giving more there are events in the world when when you see the pandemic that we you know we've seen it does tend to increase giving it does encourage people to give back when we see you know major disasters in the world it does tend to have charitable giving spike up I do wonder you know is that the same people giving more or is it the base of uh, of givers that's that's mm-hmm. growing and I think it's just that I think it's the the base is giving more. Um, We're seeing millennials are are extremely generous, despite what people might think about millennials. They do give to charity. They're giving in different ways, but it's a philanthropic generation, next generation that's coming up. So, you know, I think overall philanthropy in this country is in a very healthy place. In the donor-advised fund space that I am in, it just so happens that we're one of those areas that have really Captured people's attention. They find it an extremely easy way to give, and mm-hmm. not just to give. A lot, a lot of times, the driver to a donor advised fund like ours, the driver is what they're giving. Because if I want to give to the local soup kitchen, my appreciated shares of Google, they're not equipped to take those appreciated shares of Google. But it's much better for me, the donor, to give my Google instead of writing a check. Sure. So they might use a donor advised fund like ours to be the conduit to get that money to the soup kitchen. So that's a driver too.
1: And Glenn, I know we're going to get into donor advised funds quite a bit later. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But I, I want to ask about from the other side here is that look, there's a lot of charities and nonprofits that need money annually to operate and thrive, right? Is You know, all, there's, there's always this they're, they're trying to grow. They're trying to help more. They're trying to do more with every dollar that they're getting in. So if I'm a donor and I'm looking at all these organizations out there that are asking, right? We all get those asks in the mail of, Hey, can you just give us $5? Can you give us um, uh, whatever gift? And, you know, we all have limited budgets and, or, or maybe budgets of what we want to do in a given year. So how can someone identify which causes are important to them and then be able to know what impact their donation is going to have. Like, how, how would somebody go through a process like that? Yeah. So it's the process of determining
3: what organizations are important to you, right? So, you know, is it my church or my synagogue or my alma mater that I want to support on a yearly basis? Do I want to give to every charity that knocks on my door $50? Or would I rather give that one institution that I really deeply care about $500? Mm-hmm. And there's no right answer. <laughs> it's some people feel better about sprinkling it around. And some people feel better about, you know, giving more significantly to fewer organizations. So that's the type of question that I think people need to ask themselves. You know, if I had an unlimited budget, what are the institutions that, you know, what are the five institutions, let's start there, that I really want to make sure are, are healthy and thrive? And maybe start there and say, you know, do do I need it to be eight? Would I rather have it be two? And and then it comes down to what I said earlier, which is, you know, do do I like the idea of supporting many organizations? Hopefully, you know, people think that's not a big deal when you check that box. I'm going to give $25, you know, to this this one charity. But that's how they build a base. And that's why they send those postcards out. They want to build a base of donors that they can rely on on a monthly or an annual basis. And that contributes to the overall health of that organization. So don't think your $20 is not significant to that charity. But when it comes to the individual donor at that level, it's, you know, what organizations do you most deeply care about? You ask about tools. So there are websites out there that could really help. Um, ours is actually, this is not a commercial for our website, but it's a terrific place to visit when you're considering, you know, what's, can we, should we make a family mission statement? Um, what are our values? You know, we have all kinds of tools around those things. But then there are other sites that can help you dig into a specific charity. You know, you could visit Charity Navigator, CharityNavigator.org, Navigator, uh, GuideStar.org, and do some digging into uh, charitable causes. I typed in reforestation and a thousand charities popped up. There are tools out there for people. And then you can really dig into, you know... you. A lot of them make their nine ninety available. Their tax return available, so you can actually dig into how they're spending their contribution dollars.
1: Mm. Yeah, Glenn, I'll add to that too because I, I think that you know I've, I've been on several boards in in my career as well, and one thing that I always kind of thought is that donors really maybe they don't know what power they really have and they assume that the gift that they're giving whether it be $25 or maybe there's something that's bigger is they, they really underestimate the ability to just call up the organization and have a conversation about their donor dollars and it just feels like they go well I don't want to bother anybody but which by the way we talk about that as a main trait quite a bit is we don't want to bother you we'll <laughs> just um, assume they're too busy and we'll just um, kind of give them what we feel we can give but I I think from a, to your point about alignment of values to the organization, I think it's really important to go, Hey, what is, if I give you $25, what would you use that on? Like what, where would that go? How would you, how would you spend that? What, what's the next priority for you guys that you're building towards? You know, I, I know we talked to Mary Taylor and she, one of the things she was saying is they've done a really great job of saying hey, if you give $140, that's the cost of them to support one new person that needs help learning to read in one year. It costs them $140 to do just one tutor to one student match. So if you're going to do... $25 $25 well okay well that's going to support about maybe two months of that activity maybe that's that's something you want to fund but is even getting higher and higher dollar amounts is I think you have more and more ability to call them up and say hey if I gave you $100 if I gave you X dollars what would you use it for and how would you use it and then by the way you can call them up at the end of the year the next giving cycle and say hey I gave you X dollars how did you use it how did it turn out did you grow did you meet your all those things we talked about in seeing the feedback cycle which makes you feel good as a donor which i think we're as we're alive we're looking for is i gave it the money did it actually help because i want to see things get better i think that's a really important point point in all this is we we're doing because we want to make it better so I, I know i went off on a diatribe there but i i think that's an important point i wanted to to make there too it's a
3: great point, Ben. It's, it's, uh, you're really touching on something which is a bigger conversation in philanthropy right now, which is around impact. You know, people want to know that their dollars are being essentially impactful in the community or at the charity that they're giving to. And I think it does start with having that relationship with the charity. I totally recommend, uh, as you mentioned, reaching out to the charities that you care about. You know before you make that gift and 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 ask them that question, whether it's a hundred dollars or a hundred thousand dollars you know mm-hmm. what how how would you put this to use and they're anxious to have those conversations with their donors they want to have that relationship and they they are transparent they will tell you this is what we're really working on for you know twenty twenty two
1: and uh and, and by the way, Glenn, if they're not willing to have that conversation with you, that says something too right I think it would be rare, but yes it would yep.
2: So that kind of leads into my next question and we kind of touched it there. But so, right. So in this scenario, say we've identified a charity that say we're interested in, how can I really get to know that charity right before I decide to donate? So how can I research the charity? I know you mentioned call them up, talk to them, ask them what they would do, you know, with your donation. But how can I, you know, make sure they are a tax exempt 501c3? How can I tell, you know, how they're doing financially? Um. How do I know if they're being transparent and accountable to donors? So, is there kind of a a research process there that maybe extends a little bit past just reaching out to the charity itself um, that you could you could elaborate on?
1: And Glenn, I'll add to um, it, it's almost like I I almost think back to the Seinfeld episode of Costanza where he's got the Human Fund, right? Is give give to me to my Human Fund because we want to support the humans. It, it, so we we want to make sure we're we're not being defrauded here at any point, right? So. <laughs> Netflix now, by the way, I know
3: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm catching my share of those episodes now, and it's amazing. But I, I touched on two of the tools that I think are very helpful for the situation we described. GuideStar and Charity Navigator are two websites that I visit frequently. And you can delve into, you know, really, if you really want to dig into it, they, they, a lot of times, as I mentioned, they put their 990, their tax return on there. Mm-hmm. But at, at, you know, the other thing we mentioned is having a relationship with the charity and getting to know the people and trusting the people. And they'll they'll also have websites in many cases. Obviously, the bigger the charity, the more likely they do have a website. And they'll get into the statistics of, you know, how they spent money, what they accomplished, um, what they're looking to accomplish in the future. So I would say those are those are the three Kind of main things that I would I would look to do is is check you know your bigger resources guide star charity navigator check for the charity's website and then build a relationship there at the charity.
2: All right, gotcha. You well, know, in
3: many cases, I'm I'm sorry, just to sidetrack for a second. So, in many cases, people are supporting the local animal shelter and they don't have the infrastructure for a website. So, it is getting down to knowing the people, you know, and volunteering at places. You know, it's obviously it's going to help you. Uh, to feel really good about that cause you're supporting if you see what they're doing on the ground. But it'll also help you build a relationship with that organization and, and get to know the people when you, when you do that. And so there are charities of all sizes, you know, they, you can support everyone from your alma mater that's going to have a big planned giving area. If you look at most of your colleges and universities, you know, there's 10 to 50 people in planned giving but if you look at the local soup kitchen or the local animal shelter you know sometimes it's just one person that's kind of doing it all that's right. they created the charity they're they're running the charity they're the face person when you call that charity so charities come in all shapes and sizes
1: it's a really Really big point, Glenn. And I, I want to ask a question and this, this has just come up from a, from a client perspective. And again, some, sometimes it's this idea of, okay, it's not just maybe, maybe just a, here's a one-time donation. Maybe this is something that like, eventually I want to give a lot of money to, right? This is, I want to see a big impact and, in and, and And again, a lot of this is we want to make sure the charity's ability to bring about long lasting. So one thing is that you want your gift to continue to do it over time, but also meaningful change. Right. So I don't want to just give something like, okay, well, here's three dollars in two thousand and two hundred and ten. Right. Is is what's happening is like, okay, yes, I gave money, but. It really is not going to provide anything meaningful over time, but also is looking at making sure that we're we're kind of creating that change in it and it perpetually does so one one example we had was we had a client who was really passionate about his college experience, and he was he was really not succeeding at college. And he said, if it really wasn't for certain professors that picked him up when he was struggling, he wouldn't have completed his degree. And if he didn't complete the degree, he wouldn't have met his spouse. If he hadn't met his spouse, he wouldn't have had his kids. Right. And and all the things that brought him joy in life, he could stem to. Finding success in college, right? So he thought that was his moment in his life that was responsible for a cascading of good events. And, and he wanted to help, right? And that, so then we hear the story in lots of different ways, right? Is it this is the moment? And that's what I want to help other people have. So he thought that experience of professors seeing his potential, even though he was struggling, was really the reason for many of those positives. So he wanted to create a scholarship for kids that were struggling in school like he did and needed help to get over a hump. So my long-winded question is, so, all right, I want to, so I got this situation. I want to make a gift. I want to make a big gift or maybe, right? So I want to do this, but I don't know these people. What's the best way to bring this up? Because it feels very, obviously our own money is very private, right? So if I say, hey, I have a a sum of money and maybe, you know, maybe to me, 25,000 is very significant. Maybe it's, you know, the tech mogul you talked about with 400 million, whatever. But how would I go about starting the conversation of I'm I'm telling people of this very large gift, which feels like a very intrusive uh, conversation to have about myself. But I also want to make sure that I'm talking to the right people about that impact I'm going to have is actually the impact I want to be given. Right. So I want to. So how would you just approach that situation? First of
3: all, it's a great story. And uh, that certainly would would fit the criteria of someone who you know wants to give back to an institution that was important in their lives. And uh, again, it's reaching out to that that uh, in that case, a university uh, to say, "Hey, here's what I'm thinking." And I think people are, are under the impression that you know, in order to create a scholarship program, I need millions of dollars because I'm going to need to give you know $100,000 per and pay four years of tuition dollars a year so they come in 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 all sizes my my kids high school you know they pick one of the football players who shows you know a high gpa and 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 a good disposition and they give them a 500 they call it a scholarship and it's in remembrance of someone that passed away but then then we look at um kind of the legacy question which you started with which is you know, I want to give while I'm alive, but I also want to give while I'm no longer here. And there are all different sorts of ways you could do that. Obviously, you can leave one lump sum. Uh, You can have that drawn up in your state documents that when I pass away, I want this percentage of my estate to go to, you name the university. There are also ways that you could have that lump sum of money kind of be ladled out over time as a percentage and it kind of depends on the vehicle you choose to do that but i would say another another trend that i'm seeing with kind of more in the ultra high net worth space is even people with kids are 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 kind of deciding hey we're worth x and our kids are going to be fine and we'll give them you know half of x instead of the entirety and we'll leave the other half to charity and that seems to be you know, a trend that, I, that I'm seeing anyway, hmm. that can be done with a donor advised fund. It can be done with trusts. It can be done with uh, private foundations. Um, there are all sorts of vehicles that, that you could do to, to, to utilize. You could utilize to, to see that vision through.
2: I like that. So I want to keep going here and and talk about the how when we talk about giving to charity, right? So I think all of us we have many different forms of assets in our lives. You know, some of them might be more advantageous to give than others. For example, I know Ben and I in our area on the radio hear all the time about uh, an organization, Cars for Kids, where you can donate an old car to charity. So I guess my kind of the the question I want to get to here is how. From an asset perspective, are people giving to charity, right? Is it mostly just cash? I know you mentioned some stocks. Is it is it hard assets like a vehicle? Just kinda of what are you seeing there in, in, in trending and what you're doing?
3: I know that commercial you're talking about. Okay. So <laughs> it's really catchy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. They've done a great job with that. I can recall, you know, that playing in the car and my kids would be singing it for weeks on end. But yeah, another great topic we should touch on, which is sometimes it's really important to look at, you know, not we've talked about kind of who you're giving to, Mm. and why you might want to give there. But what about what you're giving? And that sometimes is a hugely important question. Uh, We spend a lot of time talking to people. And I personally spend time talking to people about cash is the worst asset to give, you know, we discourage people from writing checks to charity not that it's the worst thing to do, Mm. but if you have appreciated assets lying around, it's a far better scenario. So let's look at the example, I mentioned Google stock, it's on my mind. Yeah. You know, if I bought Google stock five years ago, I put $50,000 into Google stock, it's worth $100,000 today, Am I better off giving $100,000 worth of Google stock to charity or writing a check for $100,000? The answer is obvious. It's I'll never touch that tax burden of $50,000 in gain hmm. if I give this, the Google stock directly to charity. If I'm giving $100,000 or even worse yet, I sell the Google stock, take the proceeds, pay taxes on the proceeds, and then make the gift to charity, you're much better off giving an appreciated asset. So it's a rudimentary example but it's a conversation that we have quite a bit. Sure. And then, you know, there are, there are many other things beyond appreciated publicly traded stock. We 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 take in and we're not the only one, but we take in privately held assets as well. And that's the fastest growing thing that we do here at Fidelity Charitable. Hmm. You know, cryptocurrency is another big one that we're seeing in 20 in 2021 we saw quite a bit of cryptocurrency, but shares of a closely held business. So let's say you know, for those, we talk about, you know, what's driving people to philanthropy. A lot of times it's a big liquidity event. Yeah. So if I've spent my lifetime, you know, I went to a certain business school, they taught me how to, you know, succeed in business. I went off and I created this business and I've worked there for 25, 35 years, and now I'm getting ready to sell that business. Now I could do something really significant with my philanthropy. So what we talk to people about is, in a lot of cases it's possible to give a percentage of the privately held stock in your company ahead of the sale. So if my company's worth I'm just going to use round numbers $10 million and I want to give 10% of it to charity. Well, I could sell the entire business, pay the taxes on my on that business and then make a $1 million gift. Mm-hmm. Not as advantageous to me as as if I gave $1 million in stock ahead of the sale. Now I'm paying capital gains to 9 million instead of 10 million and I get a $1 million Deduction. So I am not giving legal and tax advice, by the way. That's my disclaimer. <laughs> right. Talk to your tax advisor before you do any of this. But these are ideas that we see donors utilizing.
2: Gotcha. And then I just want to kind of follow up and I know you 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 did just kind of answer it here, but so generally speaking, you know, what are some ways that we can work to build a charity budget like in our lives today, right? We talk about leaving you know, leaving to charity, you know, when we, if we pass away, it's sort of that legacy donor, but kind of how can I build a budget that won't rob me of my lifestyle today, but still maximize, say the tax benefits. Um, and I think I know where you're going to go with your answer, cause we've kind of touched on it, but can you just kind of talk about that how people can work a charitable budget into their, their everyday lives?
3: Yeah. So a lot of people do, um, tithe. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a, the idea of a fixed 10% mm-hmm. is, is a real thing. And and then it's a question of again, what am I giving? Am I going to give ten percent of my income in cash, or am I going to find appreciated assets to get to that ten percent? But then we go back to a topic which we touched on, which is you know your gift to charity is irrevocable, right. so you don't want to give until it hurts. <laughs> you want to give you know what you're comfortable with. Sure. And you know obviously we we have a big audience here, and it's a big country, and people are in all. Different sorts of financial situations. Some have the luxury of giving away a lot of money and a high percentage of what they make or what they have saved, and others are not in that position. So it's a it's a question of comfort. You know, we see plenty of people that are in their prime earning years and they're looking, while they're making a lot of money, they're looking to Yes, give to charity, but also squirrel some away because, you know, their plan is when they retire, they want to do st- something structured around their philanthropy. Mm. So in a lot of ways, you know, their philanthropy is going to be a second career. Not yeah. everyone's going to be in that position, but it is something that's nice to think about. Like, you know, maybe while I'm making this money, I can take care of my my philanthropic needs for the rest of my life if I do it properly. So I don't know if I answered your question, but it's I can give your your audience things to think about anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah and i think glenn you're coming up with the idea that i think a lot of us in maine know of is the story of harold Alphon, who um created the this dexter shoe company in dexter maine and you know and sold that uh, that shoe company and um and made a lot of money on it but then as part of that again i he made this uh, a part of the sale proceeds into the Alphon family foundation the harold Alphon family foundation which continues to give money to um to kids uh, for their five twenty nine plans into college savings for kids, so so I think what you're saying here is there's, there's there's one that maybe people in Maine maybe know pretty famously because he's that foundation is touching so many kids and their first uh, grant into those college savings account comes from the that Alphon Foundation. So really kind of that that's a shining example I would use to kind of think about that. But I want to I know we've kind of danced around the idea of donor advised funds a little bit. I want to get a little technical here. I want to ask you to kind of help us really define really what a donor advised fund really is. Because again, I, this is something where probably even on my radar, maybe it was like six years ago, five years ago is when it really came up on my radar. And it was becoming more mainstream and seeing this happen just from uh, the clients I was working with. So I want to ask you about just what it is and and then like, because I want to then also add in for the um, the examples that I'm seeing from, from our clients too. So would you start there with uh, just kind of the definition of what is a donor advised fund and how does it work? Sure. So a
3: advised fund, first of all, I represent Fidelity Charitable. We happen to be the largest donor advised fund, but there are many others. Schwab, Vanguard uh, are examples of other large donor advised funds out there. And then you have community foundations. So community foundations are big in New England, um, in Maine, in fact, Mm -hmm. and um, community foundations usually have a donor advised fund component to them as well. But essentially, the way it works is the donor advised fund, we're set up as a 501c3. So a client makes uh, a gift to our 501c3, but we are not the soup kitchen. We're not running the soup kitchen. We're granting out to the soup kitchen. So think the two things that I think you're your audience needs to understand is think about the donor advised fund as that charitable vehicle and think of it as a grant making organization. So you're going to give to that charitable vehicle or set up as a 501c3. You're going to get, you know, ideally if everything's done properly, you're going to get that tax deduction as if you're giving directly to any 501c3. And then you're going to be able to grant out to the charities that you care about. So it could be other 501c3s or higher esteemed, qualified recipients like churches, schools, hospitals, synagogues, uh, et cetera. So really the key words, I, I have this conversation a lot, as you can imagine, and that's that I use to describe how a donor advised fund works. It's the three G's, give, grow, grant. So you give to your donor advised fund, get your tax deduction. The money while it sits in the donor advised fund can grow and it grows tax-free, and then it can be granted out to the organizations that you care about. So give, Grow grant. So a lot of times, people, you know, they're under the impression that the donor advised fund is going to take your charitable contribution, and then they're going to make the determination of who receives your grants. And kind of the magic of what we do is the the, the donor gets to recommend the grants, and they also get to recommend how the money is invested while it sits inside of the donor advised fund. So they've made their gift. give part Mm -hmm. it's sitting in the donor advised fund now and they're naming their account whatever they want to so it could be called the ben smith charitable giving fund and now while while money is sitting there it can be granted out at any time but it can also be invested while it sits there so you can almost think of it like a 529 plan but for your charitable giving or even a 401k yeah where a 401k is a structured vehicle for your retirement this is a structured vehicle for your philanthropy so just remember the Give, Grow grant. There are literally hundreds of donor advice funds across the country. We're probably the, the most widely known one, but it can be a terrific way to reach your philanthropic goals, whether you want to give it all away, you know, next week or over the
1: years well and Glenn I want to add to that too just from how we've used the the donorized funds uh, as well because I know when it comes from hey there's there's somebody that says I want to gift as you said there's a, lots of reasons for not giving cash right it could be any any asset and say they have say it's 10 shares of a publicly traded company right which you know maybe that 10 shares is worth like a thousand dollars. Well, okay. They go to the charity and they go, "Hey, I want to give you these shares." And maybe they don't have an investment account to receive those shares. Maybe um, you know the the don't the the philanthropy officer or maybe the executive director doesn't get back to you quickly with, uh, "Hey, this is year end. I have to give this to get the tax deduction this year, and I need to do this now." And so, moving assets sometimes to between different entities or organizations sometimes isn't the speediest of transactions because A, maybe it doesn't happen frequently for that t- organization, but B, it's uh, also you're relying on financial institutions to send assets over because you don't want to sell it, right? So that's, that's a big thing. So what we've found was because that, it, usually there's a there's a timing element that the donor is looking to make and usually as you say the giving seasons the last three months of the year and the height of the giving seasons right probably in the december end of year time frame and they they we as i think a, an unassuming public might want to make that donation not as not thinking it will take that long of a time and sometimes it does. So, what we've seen work really well is this whole donor advised fund as an intermediary where you can say I'll give the uh, that security in that instance to the donor advised fund, get my tax deduction in the year and with quick timing when I need it, then I can gift at any point once I've got my tax deduction. If it's not till January 2nd of the next year, it's not a big deal. I've I've now broken up the tax deduction part from the charitable gift part, and what I also like about that is there's there's years that maybe I need to take a deduction and I need to make a bigger gift, but I don't want to signal to that charity that, hey, I got all this money sitting here and because I give one big gift and they're going to go next year, Ben, you know, you gave me a big gift last year. We really appreciate it. You know, it would be great is if you gave us 10% more of that gift next year. Right. So signaling is a big deal as well. So breaking up those two transactions, I think, has, has worked worked really well for our clients and lots of different perspectives. So again, that's why uh from our end it, it's it's been a really great tool in the toolbox for people that want to gift not just various assets, uh, but also from uh making sure that, that relationship with a charity kind of is is maybe not be not progressing maybe too quickly from from the financial lens from the from the donors perspective.
3: So Ben You hit on a number of, of, I think, important points. So let's think about that scenario where I have, you know, I'll go back to the publicly traded stock again, Google, we'll Mm -hmm. pick on them again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I have $10,000 worth of Google stock, and I want to support 10 different charities. Do I give $10,000 of stock to my church and ask them to give me 9,000 back so I can distribute the other nine? That creates all sorts of problems. You can't do it. So the donor advised fund, can be a really good solution to give the $10,000 and disperse it from there. And the, the, the year-end thing is is hugely important. Mm-hmm. Um, I may not have figured out who I want to give that $10,000 to yet, but I can make my gift in, in 2021. We just went through it. right? And then kind of figure it out later. Let's get the deduction now and figure it out later. So you, you touched on something that's, I think, very important.
1: But also, Glenn, is that what I think is important about that structure is there's really not a time sensitivity to I got to make that I got to move that 10,000 gift from Google. Right. I don't have to make that gift from Google, like within 10 days of giving it to the donor advised fund. Right. That that can stay there for a longer period of time, even multiple years. Correct. Yeah, that's right. So so you can you know, you
3: could give in 2021 and then grant the money out the door. You know, in 2022, 2023, I won't get into too far into the weeds. Our minimum grant size is $50. So you can give as little as $50 at a time. Each donor advised fund tends to be different. So you want to check with your donor advised fund to see what their minimum grant size is. And most now have a minimum grant policy. So they'll ask you to make, you know, maybe a grant a year or give away a certain percentage a year, but we're not bound to the private foundation rules, which have a minimum required minimum distribution rule of 5% per year. We're not, we're not bound to that. Fortunately, our donors tend to give away much more than that, Mm -hmm. but, um, that's another story for another day. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. I want to rotate a little bit, Glenn. And it's something I think you you briefly touched on earlier. But there are times um, I know we've seen with our clients and they're when they're fortunate enough, to, you know, they experience an IPO or they have equity compensation, um, they exit a business, uh, security appreciation, right? Any of these scenarios can immediately influence someone's liquid wealth and also sometimes we've seen that without careful planning, these uh instances can increase uh obviously income and then taxes, right? And then it may become a scramble at your end, uh, to, to look at charitable giving or something to to kinda to, to tone down the taxes, if you will. So so I wanna ask what are some planning considerations um that someone that you would like to share with people you know, that could experience these types of transactions?
3: Yeah. I, so I really hope that people are strategizing with their tax professional, you know, on a, on a yearly basis, and meeting with them at least once or twice a year and kind of plotting out what the year is going to look like. Mm. And if you do anticipate a larger than normal income year because of some liquidity event or some stock award or, you know, whatever the case may be, sure. there's only so many ways to get it. To get a tax deduction these days, you know your mortgage your, or, or charitable gifts, and and it philanthropy, sh- you know, hopefully will figure into the equation. Sure, uh, if you are having a big year and you're looking for a deduction, so I I I really think it's so important to be working with someone you trust, working with someone who's really sharp to kind of build a strategy and not just wait till the last week of the year. Right, Gee, you know that I could do something to offset my huge tax liability from 2021. And often timing is is the enemy because people wait until it's too late.
2: Sure, yeah.
1: Well, Glenn, I want to ask uh, another question here, because I think some of this is we've been focusing on, we, we're going to make the gift or we we're, how do we make the gift? But let's talk about maybe the process of following up on the gift, right? Because, again, I, you could, you know, we're investment people at the end of the day here, so we want to follow up on our investment, right? We, we want to see how we did. So can how do you how would you kind of advise someone to go back to the charity to see how they're using the money, right? So this might be how many months or years later do we kind of check in, right? How, how what, what sort of leash do we give uh, that organization to to kind of figure out whether they were successful in using the dollars or not? Yes. We certainly have our share of donors that do that kind of, that, that kind of follow-up and it does run the gamut.
3: I, one of the things I wanted to say, we, we, we touched we danced around anonymity. One of the reasons some people use donor advised funds is for the anonymity so that you're not, you know, getting hounded by the charity on a yearly basis. You mentioned that example of, you know, Mm -hmm. I make a significant gift. And then the following year, they're asking for that gift plus 10%. Mm -hmm. So one of the nice things about uh, our donor advised fund and others is that you can make a, a, a grant to a charity and be fully recognized by address or just name name only. So the name of your donor advice fund, they won't have your address, they can't contact you, or fully anonymous. So hmm. we have a number of donors that make fully anonymous grants. I like
2: but that. to answer I mean, yeah.
3: Your, yeah, so so we do do have people that appreciate their anonymity. But to answer your question, it does go back to having that kind of relationship with the charity. And it's not too late. If you made a grant uh, a gift to a charity in twenty twenty one and you've never spoken with them before There's nothing wrong with picking up the phone and saying, hey, I I made a gift to your charity last year. I'm just curious, you know, where did my money and and other money go to use and what are you working on for the future? So having that relationship with your charity makes a ton of sense from that perspective.
1: And I'll add to Glenn is I, I kind of I know some people don't think this way, but uh, from a donor perspective, it's almost like you're a shareholder of an organization, right? Is you're almost like you're an owner in a way, right? Is you, you've given money to help things work and they need to, they, they want, your money to continue. They need your money to continue to keep the, the organization going. So in a way, it's almost like, look, they are reporting to you as kind of a of a shareholder kind of uh, manager perspective there. They, they need to be responsible to the community, the people they're helping, but also you as a donor. So I think that's an important point And, and I I guess I want to ask the question is, what do you think we should do if we're not seeing the impact we'd like, right? Is we, Mm. we, Hey, we were sold the bill of goods and we thought it was great. And it was going to be, we're going to change the world and we're going to create the lasting change. And, you know, you've given them a time and it hasn't worked out. What what would you advise someone to do at that point? Yeah. Well, you know, the the leverage you
3: have is the power of the 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 checkbook, so to speak, right? Mm. You can stop giving to that organization and let them know that you're going to stop giving to that organization if, you know, they don't discontinue this policy that you don't like, or don't put the monies to better use. And I don't want to get into an area where, you know, a donor can only have so much control over a charity. So Mm -hmm. you're getting a tax deduction and you don't necessarily get to run that charity, (laughs) you know, and say, Hey, by the way, my, I'm making this gift to the University of Maine. My nephew goes there. I would right. like them to receive right. free textbook. You know, you can't right. have that sort of level of control, of course. So there's that separation. But, you know, you, you have that power as a donor. You are the lifeblood of the charity. And you hope that the donor has that sort of relationship where there's trust. You, you trust that they're doing good things. We've talked about Charity Navigator. We've talked about the the charities' website. They're disclosing what they're doing with these monies. Mm-hmm. So there's that trust level that's established when the organization is doing good works, and and the vast majority of charities out there are functioning in that in that way. They're 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 above board. Um, they're doing great work, and you know they earn your trust as a, as a donor.
2: I like that. So we have reached the the tail end of our conversation today, Glenn. Um, we do have one question that Ben alluded to way back at the beginning that I love to ask all of our guests. So obviously, we are here today on the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. So we like to ask, how are you going to find your personal retirement success?
3: Yeah, so we are a podcast. What we we need to work in some uh, Bigfoot or UFO uh, dialogue to go viral, yeah, right? That's
2: right. That's right. You right.
3: Do that before we before we end.
2: Go for it. Now, <laughs> yeah.
3: So I'm a simple person, and I want to see my kids be in a good place, uh, and I want to I want comfort in retirement. I want to be able to give back, and that's you know part of what I'm doing you know, while I'm in kind of my, my earning years is I am socking away money to not only give away in the current years, but also to give away. So I, you know, I envision a retirement where hopefully I'm comfortable. My kids are on a good path. You know, I can help if they really need it. And then I could do some giving back and live a fun existence where hopefully I have a, a fishing rod in my hand.
2: Perfect. Thanks. Perfect.
1: Well, Glenn, thanks for coming on today. Um, again, I know charitable giving is something that, again, we all kind of have that push pull with in our lives about, you know, we want to, we want to help. We want to make things better, but we also need to be mindful of ourselves and making sure we have enough money. So that, that that's a really big balance legacy kind of financial planning question. And, and that oh, we really appreciate you coming on the, the show today to really help kind of wade into those waters and figure out um, kind of what what kind of is out there for options around charity, uh, especially regarding to donor advised funds and really appreciate all your expertise you brought on today. So thank you so much for that.
3: Oh, it's been a real pleasure for me. It's you you, you two are very easy to talk to. I'm going to hire you both as sound consultants and video, as a matter of fact, you're great. You you know, not only going to hear it coming through but when i listen to your podcast the, the sound quality is phenomenal i don't know if that's curtis who gets the credit
1: yeah that's curtis yep <laughs> yeah that's that's 100 I, curtis. Curtis.
2: I shouldn't yeah. take it all we do have a, a wonderful producer as well that extends past me but but yes. yeah I, of the two of us here i'll take the credit between ben and i but i, I can't <laughs> i can't leave out zach on the other end as well
1: yeah, Zach is, uh, Zach's our hidden, uh, ingredient in the background. And all of a sudden he's going to wait a sec. Okay. Okay. good. All right, yeah. all good. <laughs> you, you got us there. Yeah. Well, Glenn, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And we will catch you next time. Anytime guys. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. All right. So. Charitable giving, right? So the topic of today was giving charitably to fulfill your family mission, right? right? And I I know we kind of talked about lots of different things today from a charitable perspective. But I I I think the point of having Glenn Garbadon on from Family Charitable is really like talking about hey, there's other vehicles out here and ways to do this than just kind of the whole uh, here's the checkbook and yeah. you know r- write out the two line and just make the amount out and send it in the mail. So I think that was I think kind of a, a, maybe an educational foundational kind of topic today, yeah. Um, which I we spend a lot of time on with our clients and, and talking about those goals and, and legacies. So, but uh, Curtis, from your perspective, what was something that you took away from today's show?
2: Yeah. You know, I, I think it was kind of an overall conversation that came up a couple of times um, within our episode. And it was just, you know, I think uh, the the idea that you don't need millions and millions of dollars to make an impact here to charity, right? I mean, I think, and and even from our perspective of uh, not even the charity's perspective of right, people want to donate for for a lot of reasons. But one is it it helps whether it's their tax situation or it's what they want to do, like a mission wise. And there's ways to still do that even if you're not the the tech mogul giving four hundred million dollars, right? You you can right. anyone can build a budget. They can fit in a number that is comfortable for them and use these vehicles. You know, I know Glenn specifically talked a lot about the Fidelity Charitable Donor Advised Fund, but there's systems in place to to help you attain your charity goals here. And it doesn't need to be you giving millions of dollars. And what do you say? Their minimum was like $50, right? And it still right. lets you accomplish what you want to accomplish. And then, you know, another piece on the back end of our conversation that stuck out to me was the idea of following up i think you asked the question and and really making a point of you know where is your money going is it doing what you thought it would is it doing what you wanted it to do and and glenn made a good point that right you ultimately hold the power of your checkbook there and and you know charities will talk to you and if you call up and say hey I gifted in 2021, and it was my first time gifting to your organization. I really just want to see kind of the impact there, and you know, I think he was clear in that charities will welcome that conversation, and it's something that that you should do to make sure it's you know sustaining that goal of of your giving. So those were just a couple of things that that really stuck out to me there. But you know, I want to flip the highlighter back to you, Ben, and and what was what was there in that conversation that that stuck out to you.
1: Yeah I, I think one thing here is um and we we didn't get to this a little bit but uh donor advised funds I know this I'm not trying to make this into a commercial for donor advised funds right, right. this isn't the, but this is a kind of a newer trend that we and again from Glenn's experience of what he's dealing with every day but the point is that there's more kind of democratization here of kind of being able to gift that that in ways that maybe only the, um, you know, that ultra high net worth group that he was talking about were able to do before that now has been able to, as you said, like at a very low level, mm. um, I can gift and and I can gift lots of different assets in a very efficient manner, which because, again, the point is, if, if I made a $500 gift, but if that was going to cost me. Maybe if I gave some security that was uh, appreciated, maybe that would have cost me $600 by the right. time I pay taxes to give $500. Right. So why don't, why don't I give more to the charity or give more to myself and the charity rather than giving maybe to kind of the, the government through taxes? Sure. So it's just there's just a way to do that. But also this idea of the family mission. And and I like that the the donor advised fund has this a little more perpetuity in it, right? So say I gave a thousand dollar gift, and we get that minimum fifty dollars with Fidelity right now. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so for the next essentially twenty years, if it never grew, I know those give grow and then gift. Mm-hmm. If it say it didn't grow at all, well. I could do 20 gifts over the next um you know 20 years sure. uh at 50 bucks and by the way so say what happens is something happens to me and I'm in year 10 of that gift. Well, then I can say, Hey, my son, hey, I want you to take over and I want you to gift for the next 10 years. So you is ways that kind of making gifting and charitable donations a family thing That's is that right. this is something we do as a group. And That's while right. um, I might gift differently than what my son ultimately does or my wife, Kara, you know, we might all have different ideas. We can do this together as a group, but ultimately I maybe that. Money uh, wants to to be gifted, and I want my son also to get into that habit and that practice of giving charitably as a family value. That's right. And I, I'm a I'm one of six University of Maine grads in our family. Education is a big deal, so I could create an educate a, a, a donor fund for education and for kind of giving to say University of Maine in that case. And maybe that's something I want to do, but maybe I don't want our family to be all over it and getting headlines for it because Mainers, we don't like attention. I know that's that's something we don't like to do. So maybe I could do it that way. So again, Mm -hmm. that was something where we didn't talk a lot about that as a a piece there, but we've seen several clients do that. And it it worked really well and really seamlessly versus... Hey, this money, I pass away, I then give it to my son or my heirs, go through probate, go pay state taxes, if there's any to be applied to then give it to then give it away, right? Right. It's like, that would not be the most efficient way to to do that transaction. So there's lots of, uh, I think, things there to be thinking about. So I, I think, as part of this, if you're interested, this is hopefully a good foundational piece to to learn and that this is educational. But when it applies to you, I think this is really important, to, as Glenn said, to talk to your uh, tax professional, have that strategy session, mm-hmm. talk to your estate planner. And talk to them about what makes sense for that situation and your financial advisor. Have those three legs of the, of the stool work together to help figure out what's the best thing for you. So, again, I, I think those are really important lessons that come out of today. And we'll have the links that Glenn gave us uh, in our blog. Yep. So to go find those, you can go to com backslash eight. And you can find the uh, the show notes uh, you can find a little bit more about Glenn and his background uh, we'll have links to Fidelity charitable there too and the transcript of today's show you can go check that out there uh, we really appreciate you tuning in we know it's winter in Maine and there's nothing to do but maybe curl up next to the fire and, and maybe read a book maybe listen to a podcast there maybe you go. go skiing at Sugarloaf or Sun River but um, <laughs> but yeah we really uh, appreciate you tuning in to our show. Um, the feedback that you've given us over time. And can't wait to catch you on the next one. Take care.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisor's mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session